I can't speak for all mothers, but anytime something feels wrong or you're throwing a curveball with your baby, you feel like it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, your baby can't poop or your baby doesn't know how to fart yet. It's like you think it's your fault. Like, yeah. Yeah. You compound all of that with the anxiety, with the mm-hmm. sleepless nights. And my therapist just looked at me and said, you, you, I think you need to check into a psychiatric facility. Today, we're talking parenthood with no filter. No shoulds, no judgment, no perfect Instagram pictures of a glowing mom and an angelic baby. Today, we are getting real with beloved comedian Angelina Spicer, who talks about her experience of postpartum depression, how it turned her into an activist, the mother she's met all over the world, and how we all can look at the joys and pains of parenthood a little bit differently. If you or someone you care about has ever welcomed a baby, you'll want to join us for today's Baggage Check. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice, with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about why a really large microphone isn't called a macrophone. Okay, on with things. I have such a good conversation for you today. And I am just really, honestly, just really excited about it. It's a talk with Angelina Spicer. You might know her because she has 680 gazillion followers on TikTok She's a stand-up comedian. She's been on Conan. Well, there's also something else really important about her. And that's that she has become, as she would say, an accidental activist speaking out about postpartum depression. She was hospitalized herself with it about seven or eight years ago. And we get into all of it. Oh, my goodness. There are so many good parts of this conversation. And I don't want to keep on jabbering by myself. So... Let's get to it. Oh, and she's raising money for a documentary that she's making about postpartum depression. You can find a link to that in the episode notes. And when she goes on her comedy and awareness tour in the spring in her pink bus, we will update the notes with information on that as well. Here we go. So welcome, Angelina, to Baggage Check. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here. I'm excited to talk to you today. I am too. I'm so excited to connect with you, to connect with your audience, and to just spread the good word about postpartum depression. I feel like I'm like the Jehovah's Witness of postpartum depression, like literally going door to door, (laughs) knocking on doors, like, is everybody all right in there? Have you heard about the PPD? Because if not, I have a message for you. So I'm, I'm, I'm always thrilled to join and, and to join the conversation. I always feel super blessed is an understatement, but I feel really fortunate to have had this horrific experience, but then to mm. have found a way to connect with so many people and validate my own experience and to be there mm-hmm. to support men, women, families you know, during their own challenges. So thank you for having me. Yes. Well, spreading the word is something that you are doing so, so well. And a lot of people know you because you're hilarious and they know you (laughs) from TikTok. They know me from TikTok. (laughs) So why don't we start with that? How has that combination been to take an issue that certainly is very serious in some ways and you have really personal experience with, which we'll get into, How is it to talk about such a serious issue, but also blend your personality in there and be able to use humor? Do you find that those two things can go together? Ooh, well, comedy is tragedy plus time. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you have a traumatic experience, you have any kind of experience and you give it some time. And as a comic, it's just in your blood to see it through the lens of the funny and to figure out how to flip that experience and make it something that you can use on stage and tell the truth, mm-hmm. but also find a way to make it relatable and humorous. That, that's just the job. But also, mm-hmm. you know, I tell people, I tell my business on stage for a living. So to deny 
this part of my life to ignore my experience with postpartum depression and anxiety would be a lie. It would be dishonest. And honestly, the truth gets laughs. So if I'm not being truthful, Mm -hmm. I'm not getting laughs. And honey, I won't laugh when I'm on stage. So you're going to get this truth. (laughs) It sounds actually really empowering Mm. when you put it that way. To be able to really own your story, to have your voice out there to say, this is real. This is genuine. This is what I went through. And there is pain. It's almost like sometimes when we keep things in the shadows, and I think there can be so much shame about postpartum depression, that's when we disempower ourselves. And that's when we suffer. You know, my daughter has a Mm -hmm. book called um, I forget the name. Look at me. I'm trying to quote a book. I'm trying to quote a children's book. You can't remember the name. Okay. It's something about. That sounds like motherhood to me. That's part of the course. I'm like, Lord, which book did we read last night? Um, no, but this book is about a child who voices a worry. It, it's about a child mm-hmm. who voices a concern that she has. And the more she holds on to it, the bigger it gets. But the more she speaks yes. it, the smaller and smaller it becomes in her mind and it feels more doable. It feels like less of a challenge. And I find yes. that with postpartum depression, like the more I, even when I cry and talk about it, even when, you know, I'm sharing my experience with, with my girlfriends, my close friends who I don't want to go through what I went through. And Mm -hmm. I might scare them a little bit, but even in that, it's like the more I talk about it, the more I share with other women, they share with me, people come to me and share. I feel like it just, it becomes a little bit smaller. And I feel like the more we do that, we'll all be better for it, for voicing Mm -hmm. our concerns and voicing our worries and fears around postpartum depression and anxiety, truly. And that's how we help each other to destigmatize it and to break the silence. Yeah, but you know, and people say like help each other, but we all know from COVID, not everyone is committed to helping each other, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with masking, mm-hmm. with vaccines, yeah. with, you know, like everyone is not committed to that, but we should all be committed to ourselves to lessen the burden of worry and fear. And if, mm-hmm. if we voice our own fears and worries, if it helps us, we never know what it's doing for someone else, even if it's a selfish move. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the more we talk about it, the less we will worry and hopefully the people around us will worry about it. So yeah. do it for yourself, girl. Do it for yourself. Absolutely. And there's a lot of research that backs that up, that by labeling our emotions and speaking aloud and giving voice to our feelings, those feelings become less scary. You know, and it's it's one of the reasons why therapy can be helpful. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of different actions within therapy that can be beneficial. But one of them is just giving voice to our emotions, saying, hey, this is a thing. Yeah. You know, this isn't some weirdness that I don't want to face. This is a thing and it has a name and it has some space to take up and I can talk about it, but it doesn't have to take over. Yeah. And, you know, had I known that going into motherhood, going into my experience with postpartum depression and anxiety, I would have been much better off just knowing Mm. that it had a name, that it could happen that if I had known what specific feelings, emotions, triggers, I wouldn't have felt like, why am I failing? Why am I drowning? Mm -hmm. What is wrong with me? You know, and Mm -hmm. so that's, that's why I really am excited to share my experience, because I want women to know that it's not their fault. It's not, they're not doing Mm -hmm. anything wrong. It's just, normal for some of us. And it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did it begin for you? It sounds like you weren't really expecting it. You're not someone who, you know, maybe knew that they had a heightened risk of this and had suffered a lot from depression before and knew, okay, <laughs> let me have my arsenal support ready because this is something that's going to happen. It sounds like it hits you without you having any real able to be predicted. No. And I should have been. I was, I mean, I feel like even if you're low risk and you've never had any bouts of depression or anxious feelings or thoughts or any kind of mood disorders, 
that you should still be prepared with your arsenal of support. And that's that's mm-hmm. really the message of the hashtag postpartum rebirth. That's really the message is like, even if you don't know anything about this and you find yourself pregnant or wanting to become pregnant, start at that moment. Start getting your, your resources together at that moment. Don't wait until baby's here. Don't wait until you're in crisis. Do it now. With mm-hmm. me, you know, my experience kind of manifested oddly. You know, I had two girlfriends who ever uttered the words postpartum depression. I'd never heard of postpartum anxiety, but I had two friends, one who had experienced it. And she said, but it wasn't, in, it was not an in-depth conversation. It was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it took me a long time to bond with Lincoln. It took me, it took me a while. So don't be surprised if it takes a while. My other girlfriend mm-hmm. is a mentor of mine who has been on many television shows and films. And she's a veteran in the industry that I'm in. And she shared with me, again, a little teaspoon (laughs) of her experience and just kind of glazed over. I mean, she mentioned it. I will say that she gave it a name, but it wasn't a real conversation. But I I knew that it had a name. I just didn't know that what I was experiencing was this thing. So at 30 weeks, I was marked high risk. And when Mm -hmm. I, you know, when I perform in comedy clubs, I don't go into full depth, but you are a doctor. Most of your Mm -hmm. listeners are probably, they're not waiting for a joke so they can, they can hang for a couple of minutes. (laughs) You know, I like give some context, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I was marked high risk at 30 weeks, but my pregnancy was planned. I start there because I'm married. I'm educated. I'm in a stable mm-hmm. relationship. We're homeowners. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not circumstantially high risk for postpartum right. depression or anxiety. And I'm a planner. So in my mind, I did everything right. You know, my husband and I, we traveled all over the world before we had a kid. We got married. I realized that, okay, it's been six years. So I actually like him. I still love him. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm not a flight risk, so we can go ahead and do this. Right. And we got pregnant right away and it was shocking, but it was amazing because it was what we wanted uh, and what Mm -hmm. we planned for. And I felt like I had chosen the person that I wanted to share this experience with. And he felt the same. So everything was fine. I was I, I eat well. I work out. I was running three miles a day. I was like very active and healthy and still working, still doing stand-up, still booking television shows. I mean, I did Conan probably four times while I was pregnant before I started mm-hmm. showing. I was working on the American Music mm-hmm. Awards three years in a row. <laughs> like oh Breastfeeding, back, not breastfeeding, breast pumping, pump, pumping my breast yes. backstage in between <laughs> acts. But I'm also very high functioning, clearly. And I didn't know that that's also a risk mm-hmm. ah, from postpartum mm-hmm. depression and anxiety. So yeah, at 30 weeks, I was marked high risk because my daughter was growth restricted. I did not understand or fully grasp what that meant at the moment. And I did not feel like the doctor who diagnosed me with IUGR explained it fully. Mm -hmm. And he told me in these exact words, if you don't come into the office twice a week for the next eight weeks so that we can monitor you, your daughter might die in utero. Oh my god. And then goodness. he left the room. And I was like, okay, so Ugh. what do I do with that? So I'm left to Google and figure out like, okay, what does this mean? How you like how many babies actually die in utero when they're growth restricted? And why am I growth restricted? And then I went to back to my my regular OBGYN for my first non-stress test or NST. They are the opposite of non-stress tests. They are very freaking stressful. Um, oh, goodness. And my doctor told me that it was because I wasn't eating enough calories. And I was like, okay, so calories it is. And I was like stuffing my face with all kinds of junk that I normally would not eat. But I was really committed to keeping my daughter inside and keeping her healthy and strong and I wasn't even thinking about myself. And that was the thing. At 30 weeks, the focus shifted Mm -hmm. from this experience that I'm having with my husband and my new child to 
I got to keep her alive. And that was a turning yeah. point for me because I, um, I didn't realize that I was experiencing anxiety during that time, those eight weeks. And I, I just, I didn't know. I was just like, this is, it's scary. It's, uh, you think your baby's going to die. You think, you know, every time you go in twice a week yeah. for these NSTs, you think you, you're afraid you won't hear a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And, and meanwhile, no one's asking like, Hey, are you okay? It's, Oh, did you eat? Did you da da da? You know, what are you doing for the baby? What are you doing to make sure that right. you are healthy enough to carry her to full term? So, anyhow, I worked really hard to keep her in utero. Um, it worked. We delivered at 38 weeks, five days. I will never forget. But I was induced, uh, mm. not with pitocin, because one piece of advice that my girlfriends did share with me was not to get the pitocin. I'm not a medical professional. Mm. So advice coming from an accidental <laughs> activist and comedian, baggage check listeners. But my friends mm. told me, do not get the Pitocin because it will likely end up in a cesarean section. Your labor will not progress. Mm-hmm. That was the advice I got, right? Yeah, I know. I've, I've heard that plenty as well. I had to. <laughs> I am not an obstetrician. <laughs> To be clear, <laughs> like I'm another kind of doctor, <laughs> but right. I certainly know. I certainly know a lot of folks yeah. who've had that experience, and so I'm not surprised right. to hear that. And, my, again. and I shared yeah. that with my OBGYN, and she was like, "Oh no, like no, you want to know that your labor is progressing. You want to know that you're in active labor. Pitocin is not bad, but I still didn't want to do the pitocin, and I didn't didn't do the pitocin. <laughs> and I was like, my girlfriend said, and five of them mm-hmm. who did the pitocin, who didn't listen, had C-sections." unwanted c-sections so i was mm. like eh, eh, that's my line so mm-hmm. luckily i didn't have to i delivered at 38 weeks 38 weeks five days my daughter's heart rate kept dropping during labor and we were afraid that her heart rate was gonna stop and that was traumatic mm. uh for me because during each push i had to shift my legs from the right to the left so that her heart could continue to beat and it was just, it was traumatic for me. It was very high stakes and really mm-hmm. scary. So I, I, but we did it. And there's a photo of me that I'm going to share in our documentary of when they first laid her on me. And when they first put her on my chest, mm-hmm. I looked like I had seen a Klansman burning a cross mm-hmm. in my face with a shotgun pointed directly Uh, at the middle of my head. uh, You had been through so much at that point. I didn't know that it was building. I didn't know that it was, I I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And nor did I know that that was just the birth. Now you got a mom. Now you have to like function on no sleep. Now you have to try to, Waddle mm-hmm. up the stairs with your broken vagina and your depends. Now you got to spray mm-hmm. the dermaplast numbing spray on your vagina every time you pee. It was not what I expected. But I had a therapist, thankfully. I had already had that set up in my life because my husband is white. And a therapist comes with the white husband starter pack. You know, you get a jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get your jar of mayonnaise. And your therapy. Okay. <laughs> so, so I had a relationship with my therapist and we, you know, we've been working together for like the past five years. She knew me, I knew her, but I went into her office at eight months postpartum and I used to bring my daughter to therapy. My therapist used to mm-hmm. hold her, change her poopy diapers. I used to bring the playpen, the stroller, mm-hmm. the pack and play, my breast pump, like I would bring all the things and all the therapists in my therapist's office would say, wow, you're really committed to your health, huh? <laughs> you, you show up every week <laughs> with your baby. I will say that's the beauty of mm-hmm. online sessions is that a lot of new parents can still have a therapy session, even if their baby's yeah. napping at home yeah. or whatever it might be. And they don't have yeah. to pack up. Oh, that was the worst, like packing mm-hmm. her up and she hated the car. I, I think I had the only child that did not like the car seat. So she would scream yeah. oh. Bloody Mary. 
Yep. And then you feel like something's wrong with you. My son was the same way. And I was like, this is what people do supposedly to get their babies to sleep. Whereas my son is acting yes. like there's an axe murderer in the backseat every, every time we think, ride in the car. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, what's what did I do wrong? Exactly. And that's the, the guilt of, mm-hmm. of that that comes with being a parent. I know that that's the guilt that yeah. for me came with being a mother. And I can't speak for all mothers, but anytime something feels wrong or you're throwing a curveball with your baby, you feel like it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, your baby can't poop or your baby doesn't know how to fart yet. It's like you think it's your fault. Like, yeah, yeah, you compound all of that with the anxiety, with the mm-hmm. sleepless nights. And my therapist just looked at me and said, you, you, I think you need to check into a psychiatric facility. And I felt relieved. I felt like, oh, mm-hmm. there's somewhere that I can actually go. And I'll yeah. never forget Dr. Olson. The only thing I was worried about was my meter <laughs> for my car. And she was like, Angelina, <laughs> is that the only thing you're worried about? I was like, Dr. Olson, but my meter, like, I can go. I want to go. I want to go right now. I said, can you call and make sure that they have a bed for me? She said, absolutely. She called right there made sure that they mm-hmm. had a bed for me. And I said, I, I, I can't bring myself to call my husband. Will you call him for me? She called him oh, for me. Yeah. I said, can you call my mom? Mm-hmm. I can't, because I knew that in that moment, had I, had I called them, I would have been more worried about them than me. Yeah. So she took that burden yes. from me. And Dr. Olson walked, she called my yes. family. And then she walked downstairs with, I was so shaken up by like, oh my God, she said Mm -hmm. I should go to a hospital. I just agreed. I felt like I was like about to go to like an intervention. Like someone had like, Angelina, it's time for Mm -hmm. you to stop using heroin and you must go to, Mm -hmm. you know, Sandy Hook. No, not Sandy Hook. You must go to like some some resort or (laughs) whatever, some place way out. Yes. And I had just agreed and I'm like, but wait a minute, I got things to do. But I was like, no, I don't have anything to do besides put money in this meter and take my black butt to uh, the psychiatric facility. And that's exactly what I did. So and I was there for 10 days um, Mm -hmm. and it was a wild, wild experience, Um, wild in that Mm -hmm. I was the only black woman there. I was the only mother there. Um, Mm hmm. And that they checked on me every 15 minutes because apparently I was on suicide watch. And I was like, mm. wait, I don't want to hurt mm-hmm. myself. I, 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 it, it, besides, there's nothing in here in this room that can hurt me because the bed doesn't move. The windows don't open. The the, the shower curtain, like everything's right. nailed to the ground. So why are you in here? I came mm-hmm. here for sleep. You know, like I came <laughs> here to get some Z's and you keep showing up yeah. in my face every 15 minutes. But once I figured out how to sleep through those and um, tapped into the right therapy, it was it felt like vacation. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, you know, despite you feeling confident that you wouldn't try to hurt yourself, it seems like there was obviously that concern, perhaps for for good reason, depending on how your therapist had Mm -hmm. started the admissions process or even the fact that you needed to be admitted in the first place. You know, things must have gotten really dark, you know, I'm imagining. Yeah, it's funny you, know? you say that because, you know, I share this story so many times and it's so complex that every time I share, mm-hmm. there's like a new, I discover new feelings that I had in, in those moments. You know, mm-hmm. I just remember feeling like I wanted to run away. I didn't want yeah. to be connected uh-huh. to this new life in any yeah. way. So I, I wasn't thinking of hurting anyone. I just wanted to go. I used to Mm -hmm. envision myself like leaving the house in my pajamas and getting on the city bus and just leaving, Mm -hmm. going. I live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. People don't really ride the bus in Los Angeles. Okay. So (laughs) the fact that I was willing to get on the bus in my pajamas, uh, no bra. I was Mm -hmm. like, ma'am, you, you are not well. You need to go somewhere. (laughs) So, you know, but also another thing that I, you know, I talk about and I joke about are intrusive thoughts that I was not expecting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and again, it's like with the mom guilt. Like, what is wrong with me? 
what are these dark thoughts? And then yes. it turns out 70% of new mothers experience intrusive thoughts. Oh, that's such an important thing to talk about because I think it creates this cycle of yes. guilt and shame. And then people talk yes. about it even less because they say, oh my gosh, this is somebody that I love more than anything in the world and this new baby. And I and I really right. am glad to be a mom and I do love this child. Why am I having right. these strange, dark thoughts? And they're so common. They're so common. And of course, we need to take them seriously, but we also yes. need to destigmatize them by understanding that this is part of the way that the brain mm. is adjusting. And when you have high anxiety and when you're highly stressed and you've had disruption and you've had no sleep and you might be feeling low because mm -hmm. of hormonal shifts, your brain is going to start experimenting mm. with some stuff. And it's really important to get help and support and talk about this. But it's also really important not to think, oh, my goodness, I'm the worst parent in the world because I'm having these thoughts. I'm never going to be a good parent because how could I possibly have these thoughts? You know, it struck me even as you were talking about the photo of you right in the immediate aftermath of the birth and how you looked mm. kind of horrified. Right. And I think culturally we <laughs> expect that moment to be so perfect mm. it's bliss mm -hmm. oh the radiant and all mother. white with a diva fan with the beyonce diva fan and you know <laughs> the lashes and the makeup and the yes. face with the yes. baby on the boob and the girl i looked yes. like i had seen a, a dinosaur that was about to bite my head off okay <laughs> i was like what is this what? Why? 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 Wait, wait. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not. That was the yeah. look on my face. Sheer horror mm -hmm. of the weight yes. of the responsibility yes. that lied on mm -hmm. my breast. I'm like, my breasts are usually cushions yes. for a man's head. What is this little <laughs> infant? What is this creature doing on my beautiful bosom? <sighs> what? Oh, honey, this is a shift. This is a shift. This is a shift that I was not prepared for. Mm, take it away. I, mm, 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 yes. I don't want this. Yeah. Yes. So it was, mm -mm, mm -mm, that ain't oh. it. And the folks who say, and the second that I laid eyes on my child, everything changed. And my oh. life had a purpose. And it was a greater love than I'd ever felt before. And I think this is so alienating to the average new parent because I don't think the average new parent feels that. Or maybe in retrospect, five years later, yes. they say they felt that yeah. because they do love their child so much. And they look back with these blurred visions. But I think when we create this narrative, then the parent who has just had this baby and is sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm confused and scared and exhausted and I'm not sure I want to hold them because right. what if I break them? Then they're like, oh, my God, I'm not yes. cut out to be a parent yes. anymore. Yes. yes. We need to share that part of motherhood. It's not mm -hmm. instant bliss and purposeful living for every single woman or birthing person out there. It just isn't. And it is mm -hmm. okay to be afraid. It is okay mm -hmm. to be worried. It's okay, I think, to wonder, am I cut out for this? Like, am I, am I going to be a good mother? Am I going to, that means that you're going to work at it. You're going to work at being a good mother. You're going to mm -hmm. work at being selfless and, and putting your best foot forward. I think, and I'm not a medical professional. I'm a comedian and an accidental activist. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I believe that that that's a part of the journey is wondering and discovering and learning and deepening your purpose as a mother and, and, and deepening yeah. your love, not only for your child, but also for yourself and your own purpose. It's all mm -hmm. a part of the journey, but we don't know that because we don't share it so annoying mm -hmm. yes <laughs> well that's exactly what you're it working is. to counteract it and is. so i mean who who have you met on this journey i imagine when you speak to audiences and you are doing your accidental <laughs> activisting <laughs> activizing activism, honey, activism, 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 that. accidental <laughs> activism that's gonna be the name of my sitcom one day there you the go accidental activist <laughs> there you um, go so what kind of stories do you hear? Okay, first of all, when I started sharing, I didn't share initially that I had gone inpatient to the psychiatric facility because I was really ashamed. And I was like, people are going to think mm. I tried to hurt my child. People are going to think I tried to hurt myself. People are going to think people are going to think 
And I just, you know, when you're a comedian, you have a short window of time to make people laugh. And I'm like, I don't want an audience Mm -hmm. to be worried about me. I want them laughing, right? So, Mm -hmm. and that was a part of my work was to like find the funny, find the absurdity, find the the joy, find the lesson in it. Um, and, but the more I started talking mm-hmm. about it online, I was not expecting people to feel seen and feel heard. I was not expecting that. I think now mm-hmm. going into 2023, people expect you like they expect like, oh, when I, you know, when I'm on TV or something for people to reach out and say, oh, great job. I, you know, when I started this work in 2017, when my daughter was two, I was not expecting it. I have heard from so mm-hmm. many men. That has been the most uh, yeah. surprising and honestly, the most encouraging part of my advocacy and accidental activism is that men want to help the women in their lives. And they don't know how. Mm -hmm. And that's really why I started the postpartum rebirth was like, we need a 360 do-over. Everyone who, Mm -hmm. who has access to birthing people, who love birthing people, who love women and mothers, they need to be educated. Every touch point Mm -hmm. needs to have an understanding, needs to have the language, needs to have the information to really support and uplift women. You know, I've heard from uh, medical professionals who who diagnose this stuff all the time, but didn't know it when they experienced it. I've heard from, yeah, you know, uh, as a part of my documentary work, all of my work has been crowdfunded, 100% crowdfunded, because sadly, I live in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and Hollywood is constantly reminding me that I'm not famous enough for anyone to care that I had postpartum depression. So mm-hmm. I have decided that this story is important, that these stories, these women are important, this topic is important, and that it needs to be addressed in a new, fresh, unique way with comedy. So mm-hmm. the people are funding this work. The people have funded uh, this mm-hmm. film so far, I've raised $250,000 so far to make this film. But because of this advocacy, even people who aren't struggling come to me. I remember there was a woman mm-hmm. named Joanna Whitney, Whitty, Joanna Whitty from Kentucky, put out a video last year on TikTok of her holding her two month old baby. I'm sorry, two week old baby crying mm-hmm. in tears saying oh my god I didn't know postpartum depression was real I wish I could she said I, I could really use some friends and the amount mm-hmm. of direct messages that I got from people who know my advocacy work to help mm-hmm. this woman blew my mind I was like I am a comedian honey I, I like yes I talk about this <laughs> Yes, I'm here to help, but I am no one's physician, okay? Not only am I not Mm -hmm. a physician, I'm not an expert in this field. I experienced Mm -hmm. this. I'm an advocate. I, Girl, I've I've helped so many people check into psych wards, people that I don't know who had messaged me and said, wow, you Mm -hmm. went to a psych ward. What was it like? Who watched your kids? How did you get a bed? And I've said, listen, where are you? Mm -hmm. Let me pick up the phone. I will call. I'll help. I've never met these people. Mm -hmm. But I know that Mm -hmm. having my therapist call for me and make sure that everything was set, she removed all the barriers. That was the gateway to me getting help. So when people saw Joanna's Mm -hmm. video on TikTok and over 150 people direct messaged me this video and asked me to help her, I knew- I knew that I needed to do something. I didn't know what, but I knew that if I were in her position, and I was, but if I had gone to TikTok Mm -hmm. to make a video asking for friends while holding my two-month-old baby with tears in my eyes, that I was on the brink 
of devastation. So I raised, I went to Facebook. I went to the same people that encouraged Mm -hmm. me to help her. And I asked them for five bucks. Mm -hmm. And within an hour, I had enough Mm -hmm. money to travel to Kentucky to visit this woman. And I visited her. um, I cleaned her house. I held her baby. I gave her husband a break. I gave her a break. I talked to her older kids about what their mom was experiencing. I kicked everybody out of the house (laughs) and I had a one-on-one with her, just survivor to survivor. And I connected her with the Achilles Joy Foundation and they covered Mm -hmm. six weeks of her therapy. I found a specialist, a perinatal Mm -hmm. mood and anxiety disorder specialist in Kentucky and connected her to care. And this position, this, Mm -hmm. this therapist made herself available within two days to treat her. Not only that, not only did did the Achilles Joy Foundation cover Joanna's therapy for six weeks, the therapist then matched their gift and provided coverage and provided therapy to her for an additional six weeks. So that's the journey I'm on. I, I feel like I'm like the Harriet Tubman of postpartum depression. It's like, you know, if you make it to freedom, you got to reach back and make, and go get somebody else. You know, go get the village. Go yeah. get the people who you know are suffering and who you know want to be free, who want to, to see their best selves, who want to experience the, the joys of motherhood. So that's been my whole crusade mm-hmm. is to help moms. And sadly, Hollywood doesn't believe in that. They yeah. see it as, you know, a, a potential business opportunity, but they don't see me as the person to do it. They think that a celebrity needs to do it. You know, I remember a, a producer telling me, like, Angelina, honestly, no one cares that you had postpartum depression. Like, if we wanted to do a film about postpartum mm. depression, we would go ask Gwyneth Paltrow, a white woman. And that's what we're, that's up, what against. we're up against. It's like, yeah. how do we... How does this conversation become normal? It's going to take a normal woman who's not a celebrity, who's constantly reminded Mm -hmm. that she's not a celebrity, to be funded by regular women who see themselves in the stories, who see themselves in the pain, in, in postpartum depression, who want to normalize this conversation. So that's the work that we're doing. It's really just to normalize, like, listen, I had intrusive thoughts. You don't have to get into the intrusive thoughts if you don't feel comfortable, but you can, you should share that. Like, don't have me in here mm-hmm. thinking I'm going crazy because I'm seeing wolves right. and, and, and barracudas coming in my daughter's <laughs> nursery. Like, no, girl, <laughs> share that with me. So I know that it's not just me. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. the work that we're doing with the postpartum rebirth. And, you know, we, we, we are, kicking off our tour in May, 2023. Yeah, we kick it off in a bright pink 40 foot bus. Okay. Like we are getting. (laughs) So you are going incognito then you're trying to stay real low key key with it. Um, But (laughs) I'm like, you know, I, I, we, we visit cities, we connect moms to care. Folks come out for the laughs. They come out for the joy. I mean, we host moms, moms night outs all in each of the cities that we go to dads come but not only that people come for the laughs and for the joy of community and but they also leave connected to care you know i I, it's important to me that i um uplift and include local businesses local providers be it therapists uh doulas midwives ob guys you know um It's important to me that people feel like, oh, wow, I just really heard an in-depth <laughs> comedy special about mm-hmm. this exp- this woman's experience. Man, maybe I should check on my cousin who just had a baby. Maybe I should refer my wife mm-hmm. to this person who specializes in this. Maybe this mom group that's hosted every week at the park near our house is a good fit for my aunt. So it's important mm-hmm. to me that, you know, we stay focused on on connecting moms to care, 
that we start the conversation. And lastly, on our postpartum rebirth tour, we meet with with legislators. My goal is so that Mm -hmm. is to not only start these conversations, but like when moms scream out for help, that there are laws in place Mm -hmm. so that women are protected and supported. You know, there's no reason why I should have gone eight months suffering. Yes, I was getting mm-hmm. help from my private therapist who I was paying out of pocket, but there are many women who don't have that privilege and opportunity and don't have the access. Like this, this is a whole, you know, equity access issue and, and sex yes. education issue and, uh, you know, uh, reproductive rights issue and pregnant workers fairness <laughs> issue like it's all interconnected yes you know uh paid family leave and maternity leave paternity leave like it's all there's so much that needs to be done to support new families and there's always these conversations of like yes. when are you having a baby when are you having a baby oh my gosh when are you having a baby are you gonna have pre- are you pregnant are you having a baby are you getting but like once the baby's here what are we doing? How are we supporting her? Yep. So that's the whole mission behind the postpartum rebirth. And our film will definitely, when we finish getting funded, we will definitely be the conversation piece, the new millennial conversation piece to kick this conversation off and to kick things off so that it's on the lips of every single person that views our film. And they can start to advocate for themselves and, and, and everyone they know who's had a baby or is going to have a baby. I mean, that's remarkable the way that you have truly put your money where your mouth is and truly fostered these connections and stepped in in a very Thank personal you. way. I mean, it speaks to how much compassion and empathy you have having been in the trenches yourself. Yeah. And I think, oh, there's... There's so much good that you're doing that is coming from that. And and certainly, you know, although you might not have the name recognition quite of Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> you have a voice that is speaking up for a lot of people who don't have that level of voice and either. I'm speaking up for a lot of people that believe that this issue is important. And they are putting their money where their mouths are. And they have supported us. They come out to the shows. They share the content. They send me DMs, which I I love chatting with folks over DM. You know, I I love helping. I just I do. You know, because I just there's so little tangible support out there for moms, and we're working on that. But there's so little tangible support and education that you know, women or families feel more comfortable coming to me, a comedian, Mm -hmm. then absolutely I will step up and help. Who am I to say no or to, to turn a blind eye to it? Like, I really struggled. I really struggled. I really, really deeply, deeply felt lost for a long, long time. And Mm -hmm. it's the least that I can do. It's the least that I can do. I I, I just feel so strongly that if, you know, a grandmother reaches out to me and shares that she had postpartum depression and anxiety 45 years ago, that I I can listen and I can engage with her. It's the least. Truly, it's the least that I can do. And it really speaks to ultimately what's so profound about all of us being in some sort of community together, that there are these shared experiences and that it's empowering to share those. And I imagine, you know, a grandmother now, there might be times when folks that are grandparents now look back and this is the first time that someone's given them a name. Yes. For what they went through. This is the yes. first time. Yes. My mom, this was the first time that she knew after my diagnosis and the more she learned about 
my experience, the more she saw herself in my journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's a whole other conversation that we'll get into in the documentary. We'll see more of my mom's story. We'll hear from Joanna. Wow. Uh, we'll hear from a same-sex couple uh, who was denied access to adoption uh, and <sighs> found a donor and were able to, to have a baby themselves and carry themselves and their experience with postpartum depression and what that's like as being two women in the relationship and how, you know, the partner felt helpless and wanting to support, but not being able to breastfeed because she didn't have the milk. And, yeah. you know, we I, I even traveled to Israel this summer and I met with, with lawmakers in Israel. I met with two parliament members who are just badass women supporting and uplifting legislation to really help moms all over the country in Israel. Mm-hmm. I met with uh, the Bedouin women in Israel who are uh, nomadic people that live in the desert who have to literally ride a, a donkey while in active labor to get to a hospital. Oh my goodness. I met with the Hebrew Israelite community in Demona, Israel, who perform unmedicated home births. They've been doing this for the last 45 years in Israel. And, mm-hmm. you know, I met with just so many women with varied experiences. I, I mean, I've changed the hearts of, you know, burly men like at comedy clubs and, you know, that are mm-hmm. hanging out on the corner. I'm like, where's your wife? Where's your kid? Didn't you just have a baby? Why are you here? <laughs> You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. Put that cigarette out. You need to go home, sir. You have a wife and a child at home that need you. You don't need to be out here. Um, so it's like, you know, it's literally grassroots. I mean, not even grassroots, concrete coming out from the concrete, girl. So it's like the advocacy just doesn't stop. But I hate to say Gwyneth Paltrow's not going to do that. She might have the name recognition, but Mm -hmm. she's not out here like I am, you know, and these Mm -hmm. stories of the people that I meet and that reach out to me, these stories need to be heard. They need to be heard so that more people can see themselves in this, in the the joys and the pains and in the heartache of early parenthood, you know? Mm -hmm. So I look forward to to more Mm -hmm. partnerships. I look forward to to joining forces. I was so thrilled when you reached out to me, you know, maybe there's work that we can do alongside Mm -hmm. each other, both, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps with Georgetown, perhaps with your private practice or with your teaching curricula. Like Mm -hmm. there's just so many opportunities for collaboration and and to amplify this issue. That is the goal. Amplify to normalize this conversation. Yes. And you do it so well. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that we are one of the places today that you can share that story and that we can listen to that story and that you can empower folks to talk more and share their own stories. And I can't wait to see this documentary be able to come to fruition, to come to completion. I can't wait to cheer you on on your tour in the spring. It's just it's remarkable. And, you know, your journey started mm-hmm. years ago. So your daughter is yes. far from babyhood at Thank this God. point. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what's striking to me is that you haven't left folks no. behind, right? That even though it's been seven years, you've said, you know what? This is going to be know my why? cause. You know why? Because I'm still traumatized, honey. I, you know, the wounds have healed. <laughs> the physical wounds have healed. But honey, I, ooh, ooh, I am traumatized. So pray that I continue to be traumatized because in my trauma, the advocacy <laughs> continues, okay? Uh, oh, well, that's a silver yeah. lining if I've ever heard one. For the rest of us, at least, we get to to reap the benefits. And yes, you know, it's so true long after the days of, of the Depends, although those might come along yeah, no. soon enough Ooh, again. But it's all right. We, we know our size. <laughs> At least we know the size we need. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Stock up on some of those extras. But long after, I think people stop asking about 
how the birth was and the physical stuff. I mean, you're absolutely right. These emotional experiences stay with you for a long time. And I think obviously you've seen that with your mother as well and being able to sort of uncover what might have been buried for a while, but what certainly never went away. So you've done such a service for folks today, Angelina. And tell us how online we can connect with you and follow your work. I I hope folks will see value in the work that we're doing and will support us even with a small gift of five bucks or five million bucks, whatever fits in your budget. Okay. (laughs) I know I don't have five million uh, or else my film would have been made already. Um, But literally every single dollar is going towards the tour and the documentary to bring us around the country. Um, you know, we, we share everyone's stories on the road and it's just, we're so close to being done that, uh, every little gift really mm-hmm. does truly matter. But folks can connect with me on Instagram, mm-hmm. on Facebook, TikTok, if you're on it. Otherwise your kids can follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, the content is clean <laughs> over there. You know, I make sure that the TikTok doesn't have any cuss words. We don't talk about PPD. It's all clean, family, fun, comedy, mm-hmm. um, and come out to a show. Like, I want to see folks in person. I like hugs. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. I like to, you know, give hugs and connect. And I really do love, I love performing and I love laughter and I love just being in community with folks. So I really do hope folks mm-hmm. will come out to the shows. We'll announce that which cities we'll be hitting. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be expanding and going abroad and going to Mexico this year in our bright pink bus. Um, oh, wow. Yes. I so, love it. Uh, more to come. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that there's, there's more to come and, and, and more people to help. Oh, that's amazing. And it all comes full circle with that yes. sense of community because mm-hmm. comedy and tragedy, as you said, are interrelated mm-hmm. and it all comes full circle with you being able to connect sure. people and give people mm-hmm. a space and a home, whether in the audience at your shows right. laughing their heads off or being able to tell their story with you. So thank you so, so much for sharing your story today. And we can't wait to see everything I come to fruition. Thank you. Now let's pray. Okay. No. <laughs> this has been fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Marity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time. Take good care.